You're listening to The Real in Post-Production podcast, the show that focuses on post-production workflows for media asset managers, video editors, motion graphics artists, and graphics designers. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the first in a series of podcasts um, focused on uh, media asset management in industry. My name is Brian Ahern. I'm the chief executive of Evolving Software. And today I'm joined by Rahul Bhargava, who is the CTO and founder of Evolving. I'm also happy to be joined by Roger Chung, who is the Director of Production and Technology at KQED. Thank you, Brian. This is Rahul Bhargava, and we are very happy to have Roger today join us. Roger is one of our major customers in San Francisco using media asset management for public broadcasting. So my first question to Roger is, Roger, can you share a little bit about your role at KQED as the Director of uh, Content Production and Technology? Sure. Hey, well, first, let me say welcome to Brian and Raul. We're doing this here at KQED Studios in, in the Mission District of San Francisco, and it's so great to have you here right in the heart of all of our great production work here. I am the Director of Production and Technology at KQED, and here at KQED, we have close to 60 different types of productions. That includes radio, television, We're putting a huge effort and focusing our growth on digital video content production as well as a dozen or so podcast production. And so my job here is to make sure that all the teams in our video and audio teams are supported. They have the technology and the equipment that they need to get their work done. Everything from the Evolve and MAM to the Adobe applications to any other plugins that we have, as well as supporting our remote field production teams when they go out into the fields. Uh, with the cameras, audio equipment, lighting, any handheld recording, audio recording devices to go record those great podcast interviews. My job is to make sure that all of the teams are equipped, that the production schedules are tight, and we do all this on budget or pre- preferably under budget. So that's my big role here. Yeah, that sounds uh, really exciting, Roger. And I'm sure this would be uh, quite stressful with uh, all the budgets and schedule. So if you can share some uh, thoughts about the scope of con- content production at KQED because you talked about number of different shows. So there must be a lot of media assets being generated. And if you can talk about the scope and scale, that'll be fantastic. Yeah, we have two Emmy winning television programs that we produce right here out of this station. One is a weekly news magazine show done in studio. The second one is a combination of studio and remotes where it's a popular restaurant show called Check Please Bay Area, where we have guests come in, talk about their favorite restaurants in the Bay Area. And we also send out a crew to go out and film on location at those restaurants, all the great food that we see on TV. So we produce those two TV shows here. And then we have five digital video content uh, shows, everything from Deep Look, which is our 4K Uh, science show, which we get into like the nitty gritty of things like bugs and plants. It's really fun and has a global audience of millions of viewers. And then we do uh, artistic programs like If Cities Could Dance, where we focus on different types of dance methods around the country. And then we do some education programming as well. And so all of that is produced right here. And that's all of our video content production. And then we'll get into it a little bit later, but we're also, as mentioned, we're going to focus on digital video growth. That's where the trends are. People are watching less and less scheduled television these days. They want to go to mobile devices. 
to catch their favorite programs. And so we're experimenting there. And we, we could talk a little bit about that more later, about what platforms we're, we're distributing to. But we have all that. And then we also have a, a lot of great uh, podcast production, that original podcast production that we do here as well. So in terms of the team size here, can you share with us how many people are involved at various stages of production of these shows and pre-production, post-production team sizes? Yeah, we're a small and nimble team. We're, we're a public media station, so we are small and nimble. Our production teams are maybe five, six. That includes producers and executive producers. On the TV side, we only have two post-production editors. On our digital side, it's more of a indie production kind of operation that we have here. We have small teams that are not only the producers, but the camera operators and the editors and the publishers. And so they all work in their small entrenched teams of maybe four or five per program. And, and how's the workflow these days after the pandemic? I'm sure a lot of your editors and folks are working from home. You might have a hybrid model. So if you can talk to us about how you are managing the challenges of people working from home. Yeah, and we're still having challenges of people coming back to work. I mean, the pandemic is still around and people are still afraid of it. And we got the winter season coming up soon. We're recording this here in November of 2022. And and we don't know what the future of uh, the weather and, 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 and uh, the pandemic is going to bring. So people are still a little bit hesitant to come in the office. You know, we acquired the Evolfin MAM back in January of 2020, and we had it installed right at the start of the pandemic. And we built this thing as an on-prem system where we plan to have all of our editors come in and work at their workstations to edit but then that all went awry with the pandemic and we quickly uh, shuffled and we had to re-engage the Evolfin team to say, hey, let's bring in the cloud component. And we have a hybrid model right now where we are editing and doing some cloud storage with Evolfin, but then we're archiving on-premises here. But it's working well. The, the biggest challenge that we have, despite the system, because the system is running efficiently, people are loving it. And the biggest challenge that we've had to date is getting people to adopt it. That's always the biggest struggle with any organization bringing in any technology piece because people are set in their ways, especially now during a pandemic. People are like, what are we going to do? Are we going to stay home? Are we going to go into work? Are we going to do both? And with the evolving cloud method, we have come up with a process where people have the flexibility to do both, to work at home or in the office or a combination of both. And that not only counts for our offline editors, but also our online editors, as well as our specialty craft editors who do the 3D, 4D graphics, who do the animations, um, who work in After Effects to help bring all that stuff into a single video production. Hmm. So I had a question about uh, your videographers. So we talked about like they go, go to sites, restaurants and whatnot. So what are some of the sites? Do you just do this in Bay Area or there are people who might travel for like the science show elsewhere and shoot? Yeah, you know, it's being a regional public media station. Most of our productions originate and stay here in, in the Bay Area. This is our immediate audience. But, you know, our, our digital programming takes us around the country and sometimes occasionally around the world. And so we have our If Cities Can Dance episode, we are literally going to every uh, many cities around the country and filming local dance companies that are displaying their local dance moves. And it's such a fun thing to do, to go to New York, even the outskirts of Washington, D.C., Miami, Arizona. Our teams are all over the place. And they've even 
gone south to South America wow. to, to film some um, some international dance troops. So when they travel internationally, do you hire crew freelancers in, in let's say, generally, South America? Yeah, or yeah generally, yeah. Sometimes we'll, we'll have a producer go down there. We generally bring our equipment, our camera audio equipment, because we know it. We know the formats. We know the formats that will serve our post-production as well. And so... Yeah, we'll hire the crew locally, but we'll sometimes ship our cameras or we'll give them camera specs of what we need. And these days, are you shooting in 4K or mix of HD, 4K? What what sort of formats and resolutions are you shooting? Yeah, our, our producers and editors are preferring 4K because of the flexibility that 4K offers, especially these small and nimble indie per teams that we have. We don't have a large team to do two, three, four camera shoots. And so the 4K offers us the flexibility to zoom in, zoom out of specific shots. And that's what we do when we're producing under budget. Mm-hmm. I think it will be great for our audience to also know what sort of cameras and camera card formats are you using, what's working for you today and what's not working so well. We're using a couple of different camera formats right now. We are, Our preferred cameras right now are the Sony F7 and the Panasonic A7S. The Panasonic A7S gives uh, folks the mobility. It's almost a handheld size camera just to kind of be quick and nimble. And then the F7 is more of a traditional camera. And on the TV side, we are using the Canon C300 right now, the Mark III, and we have some older traditional cameras. And so we're, you know, we're always constantly upgrading our cameras. We'll probably look into new uh, fleet of cameras in the next year or two. Yeah, I would love to get into the details of post-production. But before that, I wanted to ask you, since you have had over two decades of experience in this field, how have you seen the media production, post-production world change over the last 10 years or even the last few years? Of course, we talked about the pandemic and the effect it has, but curious to hear your views as things have moved along over the years. You know, I'm a big TV person. I, I, I was the executive in charge of the long-standing TV show called America's Most Wanted that was on television for close to 25 years. So I'm a TV guy, and I really love TV. But we know that the viewer habits have changed, and everybody, especially during the pandemic, are going to mobile devices to to get their viewing fix. And so earlier, before the pandemic, our distribution model was we would send our media, our programs, to wherever people, the audience, would go whether well, it was Facebook, Facebook Live, YouTube. We were even in talks and had some distribution with Amazon. But again, those viewing habits have changed and folks are now going primarily to YouTube. That's our primary platform where we send our video production. We also display it on our own website. Go to kqed.org. And then we also go to social media, do shorter clips, shorter episodes on uh, Facebook, Instagram. And then, of course, here we are in the era of TikTok. And so we are now just beginning to have teams focus on um, producing specifically shortcuts for TikTok. Hmm, that's really cool. So with TikTok, are videographers just shooting on mobile phones, or more casual filming versus using sophisticated cameras? Yeah, you know, everybody around the country right now seems to be just using uh, mobile phones for their devices. And so we're experimenting with uh, just the, the highest quality iPhones available. And even the Apple products have their own version of file formats, which uh, we have to convert. Uh, uh, it's not uh, it's not your common H.264, H.265 formats. So we're experimenting with that. We're also experimenting with a little other handheld devices. Uh, there's a DJI mobile device. It's a little handheld camera. 
And sometimes some of these devices have 360 degrees. And so a lot of experimenting going on to see how we can make some efficient TikToks. But then even that workflow is not as simple because when we're shooting short clips for video, we're still editing them on Adobe through Evolfin. We're inserting text, we're inserting graphic, we're graphics, we're inserting uh, other B-roll or other images to complement that sh very, very short TikTok clip. And then we export it out of Evolfin and Adobe, and then we email it to ourselves, and then we upload it from our mobile devices. So I guess what you are saying is the post-production workflows are really still very similar. Even if the audience sees a 30-second TikTok video, they might go, wow, uh, th this is such a small, casual video. It shouldn't take much to produce that. But the post-production process is still just as complex with animation and graphics involved. All the post-production elements are there. Luckily, because it's only like a 15-second clip or 20-second clip, the post-production intensity isn't there, but it's still there. You know, uh, the folks still have to put s some effort into it. Yeah, and all the native videos that you are shooting, even phone these days have pretty high resolution. They can shoot in 4K, 60 frames per second, right. and some can even probably go beyond that. So in terms of file sizes, the file sizes that you and your team are seeing, they're probably still just as large from the challenge of managing media at, at scale. You know, luckily for these smaller videos, uh, like for TikTok, the, the file sizes are, are much smaller, which is great. But, you know, sometimes there are many clips that we sift through, and so maybe the volume is, is there, not as quite as large as some of our traditional productions, but the volume may be consistent. Mm -hmm. Roger, we would love to hear your thoughts on technology and how it's keeping things together at KQED. You know, we are such a diverse organization. On the TV side, we are editing in Avid, but we're pushing our files to Evolfin. On the digital side, we are ingesting and, and editing and archiving all in Evolfin and Adobe. And then on the podcast side, we are editing in Adobe Audition and then pushing to Evolfin. And so the great thing about this media asset management, the Evolfin media asset management tool, is that it all gets put together and it's such a collaborative process. The essence, the mechanics of post-production editing, they're all the same. There's the string out, there's the offlining, there's the specialty editing, then there's the onlining, and then there's the publishing. That's all the same regardless of what platform you're doing. But what the MAM technology is enables us to do is to be more nimble, to work where we need to work, to be able to collaborate more, share media, and actually work and diversify the content of our programs to uh, have an expanded use of our, our shows. One of the great things that we're doing here at KQED is we're taking our archival media. We The station started in 1954, and we have tons and decades and decades worth of great media that is very historic and very, very valuable. And we are in the process right now of piloting an archive show to bring back the history of the San Francisco Bay Area and show how topical a lot of those topics are, are still today. And the MAM has served a great value of being a tool to not only quickly research you know, decades of clips, but also to pull, extract that those clips from our library and then put it straight into our MAM for editing and then work with our co-producers that may be here on site or off site and string together a story about these archival stories 
and then put it in a post. It's really fun. It's been a really fun process. Yeah, I'm sorry we forgot to talk about Archive because I know that was a really big deal for KQED to take all those assets that were sitting on your various NAS and SAN and then yeah. bring them into a asset management system. Yeah. So can you share with us uh, some stats on uh, perhaps number of assets that you ingested uh, from your archive and number of hours of uh, videos that are now accessible from the MAM? You know, Raul, we, we have, as mentioned, we have decades and decades of archival footage, and we, we still have tons of media that are still on 16 millimeter film. We still have tons of media that are on CDs and older uh, tape formats. And we're in the process of investing in digitizing all of that stuff. To date, we have about 300 LTO archive tapes of all of our media, and, and we still have enough film that stretches between San Francisco and Santa Barbara to uh -huh. compile and digitize. So we have tons of tons of film. And then we have tons of cassette tapes of all, all of our audio productions. And so I always love pushing my team to get as much of that stuff into the MAM, have it libraried, cataloged, put all the metadata in there. That metadata is so rich and valuable. And when folks come to us, whether they're trying to do a historical archival story here at the station, or there's a breaking news event where we need to refer to a historic event, a historic person. You know, we're right here in the Bay Area. We have the first a speaker of the United States House of Representatives based here, Nancy Pelosi. She's the representative. And think of all the rich archival material we have of just Nancy Pelosi. You know, the first woman and African-American and Asian-American vice president of the United States had her political roots here in the United States. So we have a lot of Kamala Harris footage. And then we have the legendary governor here, Jerry Brown. We have tons and tons of video and audio archives with him. We actually did a archival encyclopedia series with uh, Jerry Brown where he recited his legendary governorship here in, in under two different terms. And so we take all that stuff, put it in our archives, and we just have rich, rich media to share out with our public. And now that you have all this rich media in the MAM, talk to us about how metadata is utilized at KQED to help you and your archivists and editors find all this fantastic content? Oh, so metadata is so vitally important. I have our, our station media manager and archivist, all, that's all he does is hounds people all day long to put the right metadata in, whether it's the person that we're interviewing, the day, the time, the decade, even to the nuance of location. And I have some wizards in, in our archive team that can pick a street corner in San Francisco from like 30 years ago and recognize that and say, that's that street corner here in San Francisco, and that's where this event occurred, and that's how we're going to catalog that into our MAM system. It makes not only for easy searching, but it makes it for a more better sharing of our media with the public, as well as the National Archives. The National Archives, we have a partnership with the National Archives, and, they're, and, and they have access to our library as well. That's how rich it is. Wow. Yeah, those are some great examples of how KQED is employing a media asset management to basically streamline your video workflows with all this archival content. So in, in the next uh, section of this uh, conversation, I would like to talk to you about Ingest. Mm -hmm. So you said you have teams that sometimes go to other parts of the country or to other parts of the globe. So if you can talk to us about what happens after a shoot is completed, let's say in South America, how is that content ingested and made accessible to your editors? Yeah, we always encourage our folks to bring their media back to the station. That's our priority, to bring that media back to the station to ingest that here on premises because then they can use the Evolve and Ingest workflow to add that rich metadata 
and get that media immediately transcoded so that they can work in proxy format. On rare occasions, and you know, it's, it happens within the normal course of production, you have a second shoot that is not part of your original shoot, or you've come across B footage or stock footage that needs that you find later on in the post-production process. If that's not ingested here on-premises, then we are putting in place the process to ingest that through the cloud and have that transcoded in the cloud and, and utilized as part of that production. So teams that are ingesting through the cloud, they use the Wolfen uh, clients to ingest yes. into the cloud. And, and then can you talk to us about what happens after that content is ingested into the cloud? Where are the proxy stored and, and, and how do the editors make use of these proxies? So the process that we want the folks to follow is to ingest the media offsite, get that ingested into the cloud, and then use that cloud transcode to put it into proxy format so that they can edit it, whether they're on-premises or off-location. And then we here at KQD, we bought a little bit of extra cloud storage so that all of our current productions can live up in the cloud and have some not only proxies but high-res media stored in the cloud. And then once that project is complete, then we'll wrap that production, we'll wrap that show, and then we'll delete that high-res media out of the cloud and ready for their next episode to be ingested. Okay. So are the editors editing with proxies mostly, or they're editing with the native content that they access from on-premise or on the cloud? It's a combination of both, you know, and that's more of a personal preference for our folks. Our 4K teams love to edit in native. That's what they prefer. That's what they've been doing. And they like to see the finer details. You know, they do things like where they see like grasshopper legs crisscrossing and that's the fine detail that they want to see. They could see it in proxy, but they would rather see that in native 4K uh, just for their own comfort. But then we have our education team that produces the uh, award-winning show Above the Noise and they are working in, in, in proxy format and they love it. It's nice and easy. Oh, okay. So when would you say proxy format works well with video editing? Like in Adobe Premiere, sometimes editors will complain of lag with H.264 proxies, and so they would prefer to use a ProRes format. you have any thoughts on the formats for editing and what works well in your various teams? No, you know, all of our teams across the board, if they're editing in proxy, they are working fine in H.264, and we're in the process of upgrading to H.265 which with our, our Telestream Vantage system is a little bit cleaner, responds a little bit cleaner and quicker. But right now, H.264 proxies are what's working for them, and they're seeing the value of having that remote workflow using proxies. Okay. So, and are these clips, the H.264 transcoded clips, what are the durations of these clips? Are they short form, long form? They're, they're a combination. For our Above the Noise team, they're just our studio clips, so very short durations of our host, show hosts just introducing a piece or, or having a short conversation. But then for our Deep Look team, they spent hours and hours tracing crickets or plants growth, and so they have long durations, sometimes hours, if not overnight hours, of footage that they are that has been transcoded, and then they scratch through in the viewer to see wh what clip that they need. So it sounds like the deep look, the science team, is probably the most complex video editing oh, absolutely. operations at KQED. Yeah, because not only is it a combination of 4K, but it's hyper 4K, ultra 4K, where they like really zoom in on great details. And then we have our great graphics and animation editor who puts in his work. And then, of course, we do color correction, audio correction, all of that stuff as well. So for Deep Look, what's the typical Premiere project size in terms of how many clips would they typically link with and graphics, et cetera, just ballpark? 
dozens. I don't know offhand, but it's dozens. You know, they have their base clip, but then they also develop their own animation. Then they find B-roll or other stock footage. Sometimes they'll even pull stuff from our archives. And so while they're focused on one particular subject for each episode, it's dozens of clips from from variety of sources. Hmm. And is this team mostly on-prem now, or they are distributed and some of the folks are working from home? It's a combination of both right now. You know, here we are, 2022, pandemic's still going on. We are having folks return to work, and folks are just coming back into work a couple days of the week. So they'll work in our edit bays, primarily here at the station, but when they're home, they're back on their iMac computers. Hmm. So the distributed post-production workflows are working out for you where people working are working on their IMAX or edit station here. Yeah. And they're exchanging their medias using the uh, media asset management yes. from Evolve. Yeah. Okay. I would like to talk to you now about the various tools that are used during the post-production process. We mentioned Adobe a few times. What are some of the other applications that are used here at KQED? We use Cinema 4D, After Effects. Uh, we have some very specialized software that our teams use as well for uh, slow motion tracking. We also use Slack. We're, we're using different tools to help not only share clips for viewing, but we're also in collaboration with our marketing and product teams to get them the assets that they need to collaborate, to manage, to review, to approve and to find shorter clips for, for publishing. Hmm. So once all these projects are executed using these various tools, Cinema 4D, Adobe CC, the deliverables, what mm -hmm. is the process for exporting and reviewing them? Are you taking advantage of some of the review and approval capabilities that Evolve and MAM provides? Yeah, the teams are really enjoying the collaboration tools that Evolve and offers to not only share projects internally with our internal co collaborators, but also with our external pro collaborators. We have PBS Digital in Washington, D.C. Or, or Northern Virginia that we send our media to for for content review and approval. We have other collaborators that even the independent producers that share their footage with us, we have to share it share it back with them for, for review and rights and all that stuff. And so all of that stuff, we're pushing them to do that more and more in Evolfin and give up some of the older tools that they have been using. Expanding that within our own company here at KQED, our product team for publishing, our marketing team for promotion, uh, our social media team to process uh, various cuts for whether it's Facebook or Instagram or TikTok. And then the various platforms of distribution all have their own specs and they all have their own requirements. So that's actually also a very labor intensive process as well, where we have to put on some new tops and tails, put our bugs in certain places. That can be a little laborious, little intense work there, and then export all of that stuff after we repackage all of that for the various platforms. We push it out through Media Encoder, through Evolfin, and then, and then publish it to whatever platform we go. So that's really interesting because a lot of people associate media asset management with uh, archive management and search capabilities. But it's interesting to hear about publishing workflows that could be integrated into the media asset management solution. Yeah, and I'm pushing the team to do more, to automate more and more of that through the evolving process. You know, we're not quite there yet, but we're working towards that. It's great to see this process work and the folks are thrilled when it does work and it saves them a lot of time. 
All right. So coming to the end of this podcast, what are some of the pain points that you would summarize as evolve in solving for you with regards to media management and production? Well, you know, the first major pain point that we had was storage and archiving. We had all these diverse teams producing independently, all keeping their media on hard drives in their desk drawers, and we needed to put it all together in one central place, have it all labeled, all the metadata attached, and then share all that stuff because, man, oh man, we were wasting resources. You know, one shot of the Golden Gate Bridge was sitting in one person's drawer and then another team would need a, that and we'd have to run around and say, who has that shot of the Golden Gate? So now that it's all stored, we can just go and grab that and put that in the next production. And then the other point was the collaboration. Everybody in their inherent ways of the old process in the very isolated ways were just working in their own teams and now we're expanding. We're sharing media, we're sharing projects, we're sharing assets. And not only that, we're sharing ideas, which is great, which I love because it makes our station more creative and it makes our work much more efficient and cost-effective. That's great. So if you had some advice for other companies that are looking to implement media asset management solution to address some of the challenges that you have, what would you say are the top three things that should they, they should look out for? Yeah, if you want to certainly have a good platform for all your media to be not only stored, but it's got to be tagged. It's got to be tagged with all that metadata. I, I know we've said this like three, four times in this podcast, but that is so imperative. Otherwise, you just have a bunch of media living nowhere, you know, and not searchable, not traceable. So number one, have it stored, have it searchable, and then two, make it shareable. And that is the great thing about having a media asset management system. And the Evolfin MAM has the ability to not only make it shareable to other people, but you can put some write restrictions on there. You could say, who can have access to this, you know, and who cannot have access to this media? Hey, this footage is embargoed until X date because this interview isn't going to be published until whenever. So sharing that stuff. And then the third thing I touched upon this briefly earlier is just finding opportunities for creativity. I mentioned that we are starting an archive series, but also, you know, with busy production seasons, you don't always have time to come up with original programming. Sometimes at the end of the year, you want to repackage stuff, the best of this for 2022 or the best of that. And so the MAM has that ability with that search, with the cataloging, all that stuff to make your teams collaborate and much more creative. Thank you, Roger. Those were some amazing uh, stories and uh, scenarios that you shared with us. Brian, any closing thoughts? First of all, Rahul, thank you for asking all of those questions. And Roger, thank you for, for sharing your, your perspectives. Thank you for sharing with us how you're using the technology that you know we work so very hard to deliver. Um, your perspectives are going to be very useful for other people who are considering this sort of technology, but it's also going to be so in, so useful um, for our company to understand how you're using it. And it's going to help us get better and it's going to help us bring better product to market. And I'm very grateful for your thoughts and your comments. One of the greatest things that I really appreciate about working with Evolfin is having the weekly contact with you, our weekly calls with your management and with your with your tech technical workers, because not only are we able to 
fix any kinks that may be in a complicated technology system. And it's not not just Evolfin, but we have it integrated with a transcoder. We have it integrated with the archive system. And so if, if something breaks in any of those systems, then we may experience technology chaos. And we try to avoid that and we try to be proactive. And that's why we appreciate working with you on a weekly basis to make sure our systems are streamlined and we're operating the way that they should. But also what I love is having our team here at KQED share with you the real-life ways our users are using the MAM so that you can enhance it and make it more user-friendly. And you have done that. You've delivered it uh, on several occasions, which makes it a more attractive product and makes it easier for adoption for all of our users. Thanks for the encouragement. I'm very grateful. My pleasure. Thank you, Roger. Thank you, Brian. Great to be with you all. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you for being here. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions you want answered on our podcast, don't forget to visit evolfin.com forward slash ask.